Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time you are tuning in. Welcome to Homesteading and Gardening in the Suburbs. I'm Emma from Misfit Gardening and August is often a really busy time on the homestead, right? You're trying to juggle getting crops started for fall, you're trying to preserve the harvest, there's lots of things all going on and today I kind of wanted to dig in and share some important tasks for your garden and homestead. So let's get started with number one, which is deep clean your animals. Um, if you're living in the burbs, then you probably are already cleaning out your animals on a regular basis, right? You want to be keeping your coops, hutches and pens clean. That helps to reduce problems in your animals like health problems and things but it also helps to reduce smells uh, complaints from the neighbors oh and also reduce flies um, when I lived back in um, Utah I cleaned out the chicken coop every week um, when I was in the suburbs mostly skimming off the poop and replacing bedding as necessary um, but then I did a deep clean and I really scrubbed out the coop to clear out any potential nasties things like mites or lice or the black widow spider that would seek shelter in the dry spaces that were in the coop. Um, my hubby tackled the spiders. I was not going anywhere near them. Um, but then once he'd cleared out the spiders, I could get in there and really scrub out the coop with hot soapy water and a stiff brush. I would let everything dry out on a nice sunny day and then replace the bedding and we were good to go. And I would do a couple of these deep cleans throughout the year. Um, I would usually do another one before the snow showed up. So that was around Thanksgiving when we were back out west. Um, I would also deep clean during like the February thaw or early March. So things were kind of cleaned out from the funk from over winter um, and that helped keep my birds in a much healthier and happier condition um, one of my chickens was a Rhode Island red that we'd called ginger and that was a giant mistake um, naming the chickens but that's that's for another podcast episode <laughs> um, but every time like I would be cleaning out the coop she would be kind of like knocking on the coop door where the ramp was to let the birds out she always wanted to be in she kind of wanted to be wherever I, I was um, like when I was out in the garden and stuff she would be following me around like pecking over things but yeah whenever I was cleaning out the coop she was determined to get in and she always wanted to be like the first bird into the coop as well after it had all been cleaned out and she always seemed a lot happier um, that was a weird weird chicken she was more like a dog I think <laughs> so anyway um, having a coop in one location is very common if you're living in the suburbs right usually there's city ordinances around having chickens and certainly there was in the city that I lived in it was very very clear you had to have the coop it needed to be in one place and it had to be x amount of feet from um, the boundary line x amount of feet from um, the road like x amount of feet even from the house so there was there was a very strict kind of area that it had to be in and the ordinance officer or the code enforcer had to come and you had to submit plans where you were going to keep your chickens and then the um code enforcer had to come and come actually look at the site and see where you were going to put it they even wanted to see your design plans of the chicken coop the coop itself had to meet a certain requirement so it was only allowed to be so many square feet um so you had to get very creative in terms of like where the birds were going to be and really make use of having um the 
actual coop raised up off the floor to make use of space under the coop so you know the birds had more room um but of course having a coop in one location as per the city ordinance um it meant that things got kind of stinky on the ground where the coop was because the birds weren't allowed out to do anything um so wet weather and chicken poo makes for a real stink and flies and stuff got attracted to it very quickly um so i would be digging out some of that stuff you know every month at least um i would haul it off to the compost bin and um you know then i would put down wood shavings and wood chips to help combat some of that high nitrogen stink from the manure um it honestly um having gone through that experience out in utah that is one of the reasons why i like movable chicken tractors so much and that's why i'm commissioning my woodworker husband to build two movable coops uh one for the meat birds that we're going to be raising and one for the layers basically so we can move the birds around and reduce the buildup of nasties in one spot right there's, there's a lot of like pros to having a movable chicken coop I like the idea of being able to move it around different areas of the garden. They're not getting into the stuff in the garden that I don't want them to be in. I can still move them around the property and they can help take care of various bugs and ticks and stuff. Um, you know, that that helps. Um, but I, I have that... Um, that assurance that i'm not going to be losing so many from predation um whereas if they were kind of free ranging so to speak then you know i've got a real concern where i live of you know various things coming and um snaffling up a free chicken dinner um certainly where i live after, since we've cleared a lot of the property of the weeds we have a lot of birds of prey around us now uh, which is kind of cool to see um but not so cool to see if i am having um chickens and stuff and i know a lot of people where i live are very bothered about foxes and stuff like that i'm not so bothered about foxes i would rather have foxes um on my property to take care of the mice and the rats um so i'm not so bothered about the foxes for me i'm more bothered about the birds of prey but that's that's kind of where things shake out um but having you know the ability to move them around in a protected area um, is great and it really really does reduce the amount of smell that you get from having a coop in one area um, now we do have an idea to move a small shed that's currently down by the garden if you're on the facebook group you'll see that shed um in some of my pictures that i post of what the garden is looking like um but we're thinking of moving that up to closer to the house and converting it over into a winter coop that is going to be secure um and build an attached run for the layers during winter and have it on um the concrete that used to be the massive commercial chicken barn that's now been demolished on one hand having it closer to the house means it might deter predators um but on the other it may actually attract rodents uh, near to the house and i really don't want to go through the more sleepless nights because of things in the walls so we've got plenty of time to try and figure out um what we're going to do with that and the shed would need dismantling and moving anyway but right now we don't have animals um so that's kind of helpful and we've 
still got plenty of time to figure out well you know how do how do we want this to shake down i mean the winters are long here in maine so i've got plenty of time to think about it but really kind of evaluating what it was that we did in the suburbs what worked and you know what did well and what didn't do well it's kind of things that we can now build on now we've got a little bit more land to you know play with and that was always the point of this homesteading game and why we started doing it in the suburbs number one because it is possible to you know raise your own food in the suburbs but also it was to really build up and learn from our mistakes on a smaller footprint um, before going all in and trying to do it on a on a larger scale um number two for tasks for august is um really with the recent hot weather is cooling your animals down um some people have found that to be quite tricky um i remember when i was a kid we had a pet rabbit called phoebe and we used to freeze bottles of water um that she could then lay on and even actually as kids we used to freeze bottles of water and then take them to school um and then you know as you were walking home um because we used to walk to and from school and you know on the three mile you know trip home it was you know kind of nice to have a cold water to be drinking even when the the sun was beating down so that was kind of nice um but frozen water bottles help not just rabbits but also um chickens when i had chickens in utah i would put frozen water bottles into the chicken coop some during the day some overnight that helped keep the hens cool um i also save plastic containers like margarine or butter tubs cottage cheese containers those kind of things uh i would put some peas and corns in them or maybe some fruits that were a little past their best from the garden um put those in the empty container top it with water and then bang it in the freezer um so the next day i would just push that ice block out with the chicken treats in it and put it into the chicken run um i tended to put it into like a shallow tub so maybe i took like an old coffee can or something and you know cut it in half so there was less um you know it wasn't quite as tall so the chickens could get to it a lot easier um but the hens really like to peck at the you know the frozen block to try and get the treats so it gave them something to do occupied their minds uh which is always important when you've got chickens um in a a small space um but also it helped to get them more water and help cool them down as well um other strategies to help cool your livestock are things like moving hutches and coops into the shade if possible um or creating shade with tarps old blankets bed sheets those kind of things um i definitely created shade with tarps in when we were in utah to try and give the chickens a little bit of respite from the the sun um i've also seen people set up solar powered fans um for their livestock as well as freezing bigger produce like watermelon or cucumbers and then giving those to the animals if it is safe for them to have those so just a few ideas um to help with your livestock number three is to get your fall crops planted and i know i've been talking about fall crops um for quite a number of weeks now um but don't forget things like stump rooted carrots lettuce beets asian greens like mitsuna tatsoi bok choy um kosuma mustards or other varieties of mustards turnips radishes green onions and kale 
all of these are fast growing so you can squeeze a little bit more out of your garden before that first hard frost in fall appears so make sure you're getting your fall crops planted i don't want you to miss out on having something for fall number four is taking notes for your garden journal of how your garden is growing what plants have you been growing what has grown well what did you first start harvesting and when did you start harvesting um, are there any pests that showed up your garden journal is a really great tool to help you plan your next season's garden even better um, i think i might have said on a podcast episode or it might have been in the Facebook group but I know that I mentioned that I had a tomato variety called Subarctic Plenty or the world's earliest tomato it's called and it actually hasn't ripened any quicker than some of the other varieties. I harvested a big um, pink like giant slicing tomato um, that ripened way before um, the subartic plenty tomatoes and I've got another variety that looks like it is going to be um, available uh, ripe well before those as well so I'm keeping some very keen notes in my garden journal about what varieties are you know coming um, ready for a harvest much sooner than others because I have a shorter growing season than what I used to have when I lived in a zone 7 garden. I'm really focusing in on having varieties that are going to mature well ahead of that frost and those are the things that I want to be cultivating and saving seeds and growing again in my garden right remember my my policy for my land race garden right does it grow in the time does it taste delicious if it you know managed to get through like all the pests and diseases and the lack of water and all of that stuff if it made it through all of that then I'm basically growing the marines at this point so I want things that are going to you know thrive you know without a lot of input they just go in and do what they do um, and then I can save those seeds and um, keep growing and keep fostering those type of um, traits that I want in my garden so um, your garden journal is an incredibly useful tool I mean I use mine all the time from updating my seed starting schedule to deciding what to grow every year um, and speaking of a seed starting schedule I posted a video on how to build a more simple version of the seed starting schedule that I use um, I go through the in the video step by step how to build it in a spreadsheet um, so if you are a lover of spreadsheets like me and you want to see how I save time in planning my seed starting and you know I have things like when I can expect to harvest and stuff like that in my spreadsheet then check out that video the link is going to be in the podcast description for you um, so let me know how that goes um, number five is harvest regularly some plants like peppers beans eggplant summer squashes they produce more flowers and more fruits aka the pepper the bean the eggplant or the squash that you're harvesting right that's what i mean by fruit um not necessarily fruit like berries or 
apples and stuff but the actual um piece of the plant that you are harvesting is known as a fruit um but by harvesting your plants regularly you can also um check out your plant itself for any pests or diseases and get a jump start on treating the issue before it gets out of hand so whilst i was um mulching some tomatoes i noticed that there was some um weird little bugs on the tomato and i hadn't seen these bugs before they kind of look a little bit like squash bugs um so i've you know later on today i will be getting out there and trying to get a solid picture of one so i can um, try and figure out what it is and then how i can go ahead and treat it but also i'm seeing squash bugs appear on things so um, i am busting out some neem oil and i'm going to be trying that to take care of some of the squash bugs so starting things a lot sooner when you spot an issue with your plant is going to um, help you you know try and um, save the plant so you can get a harvest um, but also hopefully it will help stop things getting out of control so you don't have a terrible infestation on your hands and of course you know having um, you know moved from something that was like unkempt pasture to now having a level of you know somewhat orderly garden going in like things are not necessarily going to go right you know in in the first garden that i have here um and it takes time for integrated pest management to really start to settle in i know that i've talked about that before it can take you know at least five years before you start to see benefits of integrated pest management um so i'd like to kind of hang on a little bit more before i start treating things um but i'm i'm really starting to see like losses of um, crops by having um, some of these bugs and things in place so now I need to step in and start to do something because the birds and the other um, insects that are helping with um, keeping things in check are not able to keep up with it all so that is one benefit of harvesting regularly and checking out your plants regularly is hopefully you can um, rescue a plant before you lose it completely let's move on to number six which is if you have some plants that have finished producing or have died um, or you don't want to save the seeds uh, let's say you've got a lettuce that has bolted in the heat um, you can pull out those plants from your garden and fill in the space with a quick growing full crop instead to be able to get more from your garden because if you leave the space there without anything growing in it then you might end up cultivating weeds instead um, so you want to get that plant pulled out and um, pop it into the compost heap if it isn't covered in um, a disease uh, speaking of compost heaps number seven is turn your compost pile um, you want to be helping to restart that composting process by taking the cover off if you've got a you know compost heap that's contained like like one of those plastic bins that you can just lift off you want to dig everything out you want to be mixing it all up you want to take out any compost that has actually finished like stuff that looks like compost looks like soil you want to be taking that out as much as you can some people put it through a a big old sieve um that's basically hardware 
cloth or wire mesh on a frame that they just kind of sift it through into a wheelbarrow other people just kind of scrape things up and if there's one or two bits that are you know a little chunky and haven't um, decomposed then they toss it back into the compost bin um, but yeah try and pull out um, anything that you have that is finished because you can use that around your plants to give them a nutrient boost um, but make sure that you are getting your compost all mixed up and turned over um, if you've got like a nice fancy multi-bay or a pallet compost heap with additional bays or stalls just you know turn everything over into the next stall like the stuff on top will be less decomposed than the stuff on the bottom and that's kind of where you're going to see your finished compost is towards the bottom um, but turning your compost is adding air into it to help those microbes get the oxygen that they need to kickstart that decomposition process and um, mixing stuff up also helps distribute things that may be drier with stuff that is wetter and that's going to help everything all break down your compost pile wants to be moist like a wrung out sponge so you know if you have had a lot of dry weather um, you might want to add some water at this point if it is not feeling you know moist like a wrung out sponge but it's a little dry um, you also want to make sure things are moist to help deter rodents and that's also a good reason why you want to be turning your compost heap is to deter rodents from making it a home I really want to get to a point where I can turn my compost every week and really speed it up um, and have more of a hot composting technique and maybe that'll be my gardening goal for next year. Um, with the addition of homestead livestock I'm going to have a lot more waste to be composted so there's there's definitely some value in getting in and um, turning it a lot sooner because I'm going to be needing a lot of compost soon um, but if you have like tumbling composters and stuff like that you know it's it's easy to be able to um, you know empty those and make sure that anything that's a little chunky still that needs to go back into the composter you can pop that back in and mix everything up and add some more water i've definitely found having tumbling composters um, which are great because they don't have the the rodent issue like a large on the ground composter does um, but they do dry out very very quickly so i like to um, turn those as often as you know I, I remember to at least once a week you want to be getting out and turning things but if you are adding um, material to them on you know a regular basis like every other day um, certainly when I lived in the suburbs I relied a lot more on my tumbling composter than I do here living more rurally um, but I would turn that composter every day and it certainly helped break things down a lot quicker so um, let's move on to number eight which is August is a good time to start building some frost protection um, I built some cold frames from glass windows and doors that I picked up from a thrift store when I was in Utah um, we kept growing spinach and cold weather crops in cold frames throughout winter um, and then we would use them to start crops in early spring so a cold frame was a really really valuable um, gardening tool we'll say um that got a lot of use and cold frames are pretty inexpensive to make and a lot of the material you can often salvage from around town or you know 
buy it for very very cheap um by checking out local classifieds checking out yard sales or estate sales thrift stores that specialize in home improvement asking a neighbor who's remodeling right you get the idea um you know there's things that you can often pick up for free or very low cost um, mini hoop houses that just cover the plants in a row or also known as polytunnels or row covers um, they're a little bit more spendy than a cold frame um, but they can be made without completely breaking the bank um, i will say that i need to research this type of frost protection with a snow load um, and see if there's a better way to make them in a more mild climate you can definitely get away with using schedule 40 flexible pipe and plastic sheeting um, but when there's the weight of snow to contend with um, you need something a bit more robust because that piping is just going to collapse and that plastic um, may rip and tear and then you'll end up losing the crop underneath it so um if you live in a snowy area and you have a hoop house please let me know how you built it over in the facebook group i would love to hear all about it um i loved having hoop houses when we lived in utah and i had multiple of them that fit snugly over my raised beds like we actually built them so they fit exactly over the raised bed and it was great because it kept things growing throughout the dead of winter and all we needed to do was just lift off that and not even lift it off entirely just lift off one end um to be able to reach in and harvest things and that was a fantastic way to keep the harvest going um but it was something that we focused on building towards the back end of summer really before all the harvests and stuff started kicking in because once we got canning we didn't have a lot of time um so if you are still a little bit away from having to go crazy with preserving and all the harvest coming in maybe take a look and take some time out to build some frost protection for your garden number nine is don't forget weeding and mulching uh weeding is such a time sucker in the garden um but a necessary task for many of us me included um, the old pasture is definitely trying to take back the garden beds right now so I'm basically weeding a bit putting mulch down weeding a bit more putting mulch down um, I am pulling weeds up and just chucking them straight on the ground in some cases like everywhere I look like there's there's weeds popping up apart from when I look over at my no-till garden beds that are ready for next year, I mean, I'm kind of beating myself up that I didn't just plant in those instead, honestly, um, because there's like no weeds on those beds at all. Um, the mulch is helping to retain the water in the soil um, and, you know, with no weeds coming up like my plants would have a much easier time of growing because they're not fighting the weeds for the sunlight and the nutrients um but mulching generally is really good for the garden you want it to you know it helps retain that moisture in the soil it helps reduce soil being washed away when it rains um and it'll eventually decompose over time if you're using natural materials and um, that's going to feed the soil and that's never a bad thing so mulch whenever you can get it is my my tip because i get it not everybody has mulch available some people are using grass clippings some people are using straw some people are using you know random um wood and tree chippings that they managed to get hold of for free um you know it it's really use what you have available 
and eventually things will break down some people are having better success with straw mulch versus grass mulch or grass mulch versus wood chips like whatever it is that you end up using in your garden it's always going to help the soil in the long run when you mulch so it's always a good thing to do um, also mulching can help um, reduce the spread of certain diseases because you're preventing the soil from splashing up on the leaves of the plant which can um, is one method of how certain soil borne diseases get transmitted and spread across a crop so um, mulch when you can um, I actually have some shredded junk mail and stuff that is sitting um, up in my office that I'm going to be using as a mulch in the garden as well. Um, so that's going to be kind of fun to see how um, the shredded paper is going to um, fare in the garden versus the wood chip mulch that I'm currently using. All right, let's move on to number 10, which is that I mentioned in a previous episode how I saw on a local farm and other local gardeners how they have a sturdily fenced smaller area for their garden to keep out the deer. And that's what my no-till garden area is going to be. It's going to be fenced in, it's going to be intensively planted, everything's kind of set up in these keyhole gardens, and hopefully I'm going to have less critter damage if I can get rid of the uh, woodchuck that has made a home under the shed that's in there. But that's a different issue. Um, but August is a good time to plan and start setting out garden beds for the next year. Um, especially if you're going to do no dig um, or sheet mulch or lasagna gardening style like me. And the reason why uh, late summer is good because you can still see your garden in full light still you know you've still got the the summer heat and stuff you can see where the light is falling what shadows are being cast during the growing season so it will help you get your garden beds set up in the right direction for maximum light it also means that you have time to lay the cardboard and put down the wood chips and the other mulches without hurrying that oh my gosh snow's predicted tomorrow right i need to get this out now otherwise i'm stuck until spring and then you know there's there's some debate about how well no-till beds act or lasagna gardening or sheep mulch gardening or whatever you want to call it i go with a no-till um but those kind of beds often kind of have a struggling garden because so much of the materials are being broken down there's something that's known as nitrogen robbing which is commonly seen with wood chips where the nitrogen's being taken up from the soil to help decompose the wood chips and the other materials so if you can start building your bed while you're not under pressure to get things planted like you are in spring then those no-till beds have an opportunity to begin to break down releasing the nutrients and not tying up the nitrogen which means that you're going to have a much easier time and more places to plant in the following spring so if you were wanting to move to a no-till bed now's a good time to get started on that number 11 and we're, ne we're nearly at the end guys um is get preserving since your harvest is on oh, maybe you're visiting a farmer's market and roadside stands and you're picking up a great deal on fresh produce or maybe you're going foraging right you want to be making sure that you eat cook and preserve your produce so it doesn't go to waste um i'm a huge fan of canning and um i i 
love canning for many many reasons the biggest one is um, that we have to fit the meat from a couple of animals in the freezer um, for my my husband and I like the fact that canning means that things that I'm going to be eating um, are usually self um, shelf stable not self stable shelf stable I need my coffee this morning um i've canned everything from meat tomatoes pickles potatoes stew and everything in between um i really like to can shelf stable meals things like farmer's soup and stuff that are kind of ready in 10 minutes um which is great when you have a 90 minute commute home after a really long day of work and you've set off at like 5 30 to be in the office on time like i get it it's really really easy to you know stop somewhere and pick up fast food um but actually having something that you can just dump out into a saucepan from a jar reheat and it is homegrown food oh it's so much better so much better um and that's one of the things that i love by canning is you've got that flexibility to be able to do that um some things i like to freeze like raspberries because you really can have too much jam and definitely don't make the mistake that i made of doing like 20 million jars of chutney that you don't know what to do with okay it was not quite 20 million but you get the idea um i've been fermenting quite a lot recently i've been making sauerkraut in different flavors i've done kimchi in a variety of spice levels i've been making lacto fermented pickles and squickles that's summer squash pickles um i've been um doing a lot more of those kind of preservation techniques like fermenting has definitely taken a bigger role in the preservation of produce this year on our homestead i honestly can't make enough of the spicy lacto fermented pickles my family are eating them quicker than i can make them um i do dehydrate a few things here and there mostly apples in the fall but one method of preserving that isn't really mentioned when we talk about preserving food is actually cooking with your produce in a bigger batch and then freezing it for a healthy meal that you can defrost and enjoy later in the month or even later in the year um for example if we're drowning in zucchini or eggplant then we might make a big batch put it in a big freezer safe oven proof dish um and we'll do like a big eggplant palm or a big vegan zucchini lasagna for me and we'll put it in the freezer to defrost and cook later or we might fully cook it and then portion it out into one person servings to then take to work for lunch or a microwave and reheat when we get home from work at least once a month i'll try and batch cook something maybe it's like vegetable and barley soup if i've got veggies that are on the brink of going bad and i'll make a big batch of vegetable broth from the vegetable peels and offcuts assuming they haven't gone moldy or bad or anything if that's the case then those bits go into the compost but if they're still good then into the broth they go and then i'll use that broth for a soup and stew and anything else that i'm making that needs a bit of flavor like maybe cooking rice there's lots of recipes for canning soup and even canning broth so if you make a big batch you can can it to make it shelf stable and then use it later um, and then you basically don't have to be buying it from the grocery store and i've noticed broth is pretty expensive it's like 
two dollars fifty or something it was pretty spendy when i when i last um bought it so there's a top tip for you to get more out of your produces turn some of it into broth as well and the last one for today is curing garlic um if you've pulled garlic you want to be putting it somewhere where there's lots of airflow so it can dry out ready for use later i like to braid my garlic and then hang it in the basement that was kind of what i used to do in utah um here maybe not um i might not do that because i would end up with rodents i would probably braid it and hang it in the kitchen instead that's kind of where i got a lot of herbs drying at the minute anyway um but also you want to be pre-ordering your garlic for fall if you haven't yet grown it i love growing garlic it's pretty straightforward to grow and although this is the first year since growing garlic myself that I didn't have a harvest because something ate my garlic and that is crazy because growing garlic around your plants and in with your plants is usually the organic gardener's surefire way to deter critters from your veggies so I guess whatever ate my garlic must have been really hungry and needed it more than I did um so right now i'm perusing various places to see about ordering seed garlic to plant um, and i'm going to be planting that in the no dig garden bed this fall so i am really excited to do that um i personally like really strong punchy garlic um i use it a lot in various fermented vegetable recipes canning and cooking i like to try different hardneck garlic varieties because i live in a northern state and hardneck varieties do better um in the north and softneck garlic varieties do better in the south um softneck garlic varieties tend to store longer though than hardneck garlic varieties so i'll be picking up a few different varieties to try out i'll be looking for ones based on taste and ones based on storage i'm gonna grow them see what grows well see what i like the taste of and save the clothes from those that i like the taste of to plant the following fall that sounds a lot like my strategy for land race gardening doesn't it there might be a common theme in how i grow but i would love to hear from you what are you doing on your homestead let me know over in the facebook group and until next time i hope your garden grows beautifully and i will see you all next week <laughs>